0: Yeah, this episode is going to be all about how wrong we are. Welcome to Aliensland here. I didn't introduce it last time, but I might as well do it this time. This is season two, episode three, I guess. Um, Episode one is lost to the ether. Not really, but uh, it hasn't shown up. Maybe someday in bits and pieces to our Patreon subscribers, all 17 trillion of them. (laughs) We're doing this like Firefly. There we go. We're airing out of order. Someday, we'll cancel ourselves, and then we'll come back and have a giant feature where we both die. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray, I guess. It's it's to make them care more about our story. The, the external writer of our lives does it. You didn't update to uh, iOS 12.1, did you?
1: No, and the reason I didn't do that is, well, twofold. First, I don't really care about group FaceTime that much. And second, since I ended up ordering a new phone, I didn't yep. want to have any complications porting over my uh, old phone to the new phone. That would be why I asked, yep. Because if you get
0: your phone, your new phone, and you've updated your old phone to 12.1, you cannot restore the, the backup made from
1: 12.1 onto your new phone. I remember I ended up doing that last year where I had 11.1 beta on my old phone and then when I ended up getting my iPhone 10 I had to set up the iPhone 10 as new then download the 11.1 beta then wipe out the iPhone 10 and then do a new setup so avoiding that this year what
0: did we end up ordering from our Apple event so well, we both got a new phone and you said that you were thinking of not getting the 512 but I ended up getting the
1: 512. Just because you wanted to spend more money? Again, keeping the stock price high. Right. (laughs) Naturally. Every time this happens, what I end up doing is I end up looking at the phone and saying, well, maybe this is the year I end up recording a whole lot of video. That would be a lot of video. Yeah. But I was thinking along the lines of, okay, what if I end up recording a lot of video and I'm out of cell service? So okay. that I'm not able to upload said video. You could use the uh, the little SD card dongle for the phone. Hashtag
0: dongle life. I have a whole pile of dongles that's in my laptop backpack. It's ridiculous. So you got the 512 gigabyte iPhone 10s Max. And I got the 256 gigabyte 10s Max. And mine was the white, I guess they call it silver which is the first time I've not gotten the blackest option. Any rationale on that? Previously, I didn't get the white phone or any other color phone because in addition to having the back be that color, they also had the border on the front be that color. Uh, That would be a contrast to the screen on the front, which is basically black, and then it would have a weird white border. and, And in the sun, it would make it even more difficult to see the screen due to the contrast... I didn't want it to be distracting, but if it's on the back, then I don't see it when I'm looking
1: at the screen. That's one of the things I really love about the new phones, is that there's no longer any sort of white front whatsoever. Yeah. And for the longest time, I ended up getting just the space gray variant of the phone, just so that I would end up having a black front instead of a white front. So what color did you get for this one? I ended up getting the space gray. Okay. See, at this point, it doesn't really matter for me because it's always sitting behind a case anyway. I I am a, a naked phone person.
0: I have never used a case, and I have never broken a phone, so I'm
1: still okay. <laughs> the uh, one time I broke a phone was I broke my iPhone 3G by uh, accidentally dropping it in a hot tub. I don't think a case would have protected the, from that. Exactly. Yeah, so um, I had the cover on the hot tub, and I had the phone resting on the top of the cover, and uh, without thinking about it, I ended up flipping the cover, and I hear a big plop sound Uh, as the phone ends up going to the bottom of the hot tub, and the rest is history. Were were you so busy contemplating whether
0: or not you were in a simulation that uh, you lost track of your phone? Sure. (laughs) For those that don't get it, that's an Elon Musk reference. Oh, oh. Since uh, he said that he spent way too many hours in the hot tub contemplating whether or not it was an assimilation.
1: Um, But besides that, the reason I end up using a case is because I have my ID and one of my um, credit cards within the case itself. Ah, yeah. I have family members who do that. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't carry a wallet around anymore unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. And the case ends up enabling this. This is why I really hope that um, the Apple wallet ends up having support for actual IDs sometime soon. Once they end up doing that, and once um, places transition to having contactless payments all the time, then I'm thinking I would just get rid of the case altogether. Moving on to the watch. I think we both got one there too. What was yours? Um, the 44 millimeter. Stainless steel. So I got
0: sort of the standard cheap geek option of the 40 millimeter and, uh, space gray. And then the sort of, uh, sport strap thing. The one that has the little Velcro. And this time it was black instead of gray. I liked the strappy
1: thing last time. So, uh, I didn't see any option for the, uh, regular stainless steel to have a black strap or the black fluoroelastomer strap, it seemed to only be available in a white option. Huh. I think they actually pared their offerings down quite a bit since there are now so many straps. This is so in a
0: subsequent uh, event, they can say, hey, we have more watch straps now. Or they force you to buy a watch strap that you really wanted. One of the things that I noticed... Oh, first thing, uh, correction from last time, the... The measurements are the size of the case vertically not a diagonal screen measurement like we had thought that it might be um, and that's sort of weird because you usually would think of the measurement uh, for a device being based off of the screen size and that it would be diagonal but no just just vertical and the entire case do you know of any
1: other watches that actually measure that way I don't know how watches are normally measured, so maybe this is consistent. The majority of watch faces are round, right?
0: Uh, most, yeah, except for unless you have like an old uh, Casio calculator watch, which are
1: awesome, by the way. So you would think that they would measure based off of diagonal, simply because it would be the closest thing to diameter. With a round face, sort of, if you start from the middle, that would be the same thing. So technically, it's height and its width would technically be the same. Yeah.
0: And then the other thing that I noticed when looking at the schematics for the watch was uh due to the ECG um the 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 optical sensor for measuring your heart rate instead of there being what looks like four of them there is now only one of them and it says generation 2 heart rate sensor But it seems like with fewer contact patches that it might be less reliable. I wonder if that's actually the case. And the reason that they needed to do that, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, was because of the ECG. In order to take the uh, electrocardiogram, it needs to have two contact points because it's running a current through your heart to do the detection. So one of the contact points is the crown, and the other contact point is your wrist. And so
1: it goes all the way through. Anyway, do you do you think that's going to affect the heart rate measurements at all? I'm really curious about that. I mean, there's a couple ways that they could compensate for that. Like, uh, one thing I was thinking of is that they may just measure it more frequently rather than, uh, what is it right now, once every 10 seconds. That would probably help. But if the part of the sensor
0: that would be in contact with the skin, I mean, like, if your watch is loose, it seems like it, there would be Before, like, if three of them were not touching your skin or off-skew or, like, in a weird position, then the last one could still do the measurement. But if there's only one of them in the center...
1: I mean, it's also possible that the sensor itself is a lot more reliable. That's the hope. And it could also have a brighter light. From a power perspective, you have to think that there are things they can do to compensate due to there only being one sensor instead of four. Right. Anyway, it'll it'll be interesting to see
0: what goes on with that. Do you have any other watch thoughts? Or if not, let's move on to iOS 12.
1: Yeah, I don't have any right now.
0: For For iOS 12, I haven't played with it that much since I was not on the beta. Um, my major thought about it is I really like the new uh, screen time restriction stuff and uh, screen time monitoring stuff since I am a parent. And that is very helpful. So I went... And I took my son's phone and I made it require a password between 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. And uh, and you can also limit which apps are available in the restricted period. So I just made like his toothbrushing app available during that period. So he wouldn't go, hey, unlock my phone when he needs to go do that. Toothbrushing app. Yeah, we have a Bluetooth enabled <laughs> toothbrush. It, it's the uh, Sonicare one that he has and it measures the pressure and angle of his toothbrushing as he's going and then it shows him on the screen which part of the mouth he's supposed to be brushing and then it has like uh tries to determine whether or not that those teeth were brushed and at the end of the thing it has like a touch-up thing like hey you should redo these areas it wasn't quite right that kind of
1: thing Is this entirely a kid thing, or are there adult variants this? This is actually the adult app that he's using. Um, But, yeah. Wow. I kind of want that now. Um, So, some questions about the whole uh, time-limiting thing. Are you able to see your son's um, app usage from your phone? No. I still have to steal his phone and uh, look at it. Which is annoying, but oh well. So... Even though you can't do any kind of real management of devices unless you have the device in front of you, um, do you know if iOS 12 enables that within other sort of third-party apps? What I meant here is that even though it's not within iOS 12 directly, that since there is time management present, that a third-party application would allow you to remotely oh, manage it. Oh,
0: I don't know. Well, that I think that that would violate their sandboxing because the apps are not supposed to be able to interact with the other apps. And uh, I guess it's technically just interacting with the settings app. Um, so if settings decided to expose that functionality, like via Siri shortcuts or something, then it would be doable. But I don't think that it has exposed any of that.
1: You know how there are some apps that require a uh, special profiles, Right. I imagine it being available to things like businesses
0: that would be nice really I want I want multiple user accounts on iOS devices. I don't know if that'll ever happen there's the thing for education that's kind of similar but that basically completely like scrubs the phone with every user change so it takes forever to do a user change What I want is um, well it would have been touch ID switching users but I guess now I can maybe eventually use Face ID to switch users on the phones and iPads. And then I can have it set up for uh, each individual person. Because the other problem with uh, iOS iPads is I never use... I I get an iPad because they seem cool, but then I never use it because my family goes and uses it and then messes up all my stuff.
1: Yeah, I find I don't really use my iPad, mainly because... With the iPad, it doesn't quite have the tools that I need in order to do what I need to do workwise. Yeah, there's there's that too. It's mostly a consumption thing. They have Coda for iOS, which is it's quite good, uh-huh. but it doesn't have any sort of the repository uh, integration on the iOS port. The feeling I get is if they do, it won't be Subversion. They'll probably have Git support and then it'll <laughs> f- force me to switch over to Git after... 10 years of subversion man you just you just lost so much geek cred i i, I would berate
0: you for it uh, but and call you names but apparently linus doesn't do that anymore <laughs> i lucked out and we have to follow his example when i'm talking about git you know for for those that don't know uh linus torvalds the creator of linux is trying to t- wrote a letter basically saying that he's taking some time to step away to sort of try and get help on his behavior because he is realizing that he his combative nature and the emails and insults and whatnot has uh, moved people away from kernel development on Linux that might have otherwise been contributors and he thinks that's wrong and he doesn't any so he wants some help trying to sort of understand emotions
1: yeah, so I have this tool that I've had since uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight that works just fine for me, and I have been too lazy to switch over, and I haven't had any good reason to switch over apart from saving my geek cred. Do you, Do you still have it in the mode where it where it litters in every single directory? No, not anymore. Okay. So at
0: least at least that's off. It's
1: good. Yeah, that's a, a newer version of Subversion fixes that. Okay.
0: That was one of the more annoying things about
1: Subversion. I mean, the main thing I would need to change in order to use Git is that uh, our software right now is tied into the Subversion version, which is an actual um, integer. Ah. Yeah, you you can do a similar thing with Git.
0: I think it's Git describe. It will have the uh, version number that you have uh, associated with it, like with the most recent version tag. And then it will, I think, have the number of commits after that there. So you can have essentially
1: a unique uh, version ID with uh, Git as well. Uh, Do you know if there are any tools to directly port over a repository from Subversion to Git? Yep. In a way that where it would actually preserve each of the individual versions. Yep.
0: Um, and I, find, I think even the default way of doing the port does that. Ten years ago, when I started converting <laughs> projects to Git, I, I used such tools. And they worked pretty well.
1: I'm so ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any more thoughts on iOS 12? Uh, I really like the group notifications in iOS 12. I feel like it saves me a lot of time and headspace to be able to just go in and clear the notifications, which are less important, and keep the ones that are more important.
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to like that. When I use Twitter or whatever, I use uh, TweetBot because I hate the sort of of out-of-order timeline kind of thing and whatnot. Same with Facebook. I hate the out-of-order timeline timeline and i was worried that with grouped by app i would hate the out of order messages uh because they're grouped by app and not and well they're grouped by app then by time but i want i was wondering if i would want something completely chronological and it turns out that i don't care
1: which is good um you know twitter's gonna add back the uh, chronological timeline as an option yeah but i hate the you i hate the twitter web interface
0: and i want to complete i want to continue just using an app forever so it wouldn't matter
1: either way well i use the twitter app and the main reason i use the twitter app now in addition to Tweetbot, is the uh, activity feed are you talking about on the phone
0: yeah because uh, they retired
1: their mac app right
0: see i i'm i guess i'm sort of a rare person in that i basically never use twitter on my phone I pretty much only use it on my computer using Tweetbot. The only time I use it on my phone is if I'm stuck somewhere and I'm
1: bored, and then I still use Tweetbot uh, because it has where I left off. I thought the whole reason for using Twitter is because you're stuck and you're bored and you need something to look at.
0: No, I I don't I I I look at Twitter not because I'm bored, but uh, to get my little message dopamine fix.
1: Maybe there's something good there. There never is, of course. So you're going to turn this podcast into a platform where you announce that you're leaving social media? No. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could, but I don't have that kind of willpower. Well, neither does anybody else. They only leave for two weeks before coming back anyway. Yeah. Then uh, have you played with Siri Shortcuts at all? No, not yet.
0: Yeah, I, I very briefly look at it. My... My dad now has a bit of difficulty using his phone and remembering how to call me. And um so I made a shortcut as a test to see if it would how it would work. I made a short shortcut to basically make an icon on the home screen that directly calls me. So he doesn't have to go through the app uh the contacts app or anything like that.
1: Would it have been better for him to tell Siri? He forgets that he can do that.
0: Oh, okay. Uh is there anything else about iOS 12? It's it's fast and stable and a pretty good point 0 release I think.
1: I had better luck with iOS 12 beta 1 yeah than I did any of the uh iOS 11 releases.
0: Good. Yeah, it seems to be a pretty solid release. I'm making I'm I'm, I'm updating everything right away basically. Partly mm-hmm. because I I uh, think it's better uh, a better OS, and but primarily because I'm very curious about how long each app is used on each device, and I want to go and look at the screen time in, uh, statistics for all of them.
1: I have this bad feeling that iOS 13 is going to be terrible. <laughs> Lucky number 13! Well, um, from what I recall, iOS 6 was really, really solid. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, iOS seven was a complete well. Seven facial... is where they did their total redesign, right? So now we're going to be looking at iOS thirteen next year, which is probably going to have a decent amount of redesign. You think they're going to do as much of an overhaul as they did with seven? I'm not sure about so that. They
0: don't have any. They don't have any uh, executives in their bickering anymore, right?
1: I'm sure there's no
0: arguments whatsoever that would indicate it a that they would do a design change.
1: Watch between now and next year, Scott Forstall gets rehired. Back to skewmophism. Any more iOS
0: 12 thoughts? I know there's a lot of password stuff that's new and cool, but I haven't played with very much of it.
1: Oh, I actually played with that yesterday, that uh, 1Password ended up getting updated. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, that's actually really slick. So when you go to a website now um rather than having to go into the share sheet and choosing one password and uh-huh. having it populate um one password actually integrates within the uh password button that you can press
0: yeah so that's that's really cool one password then is the password manager that you use yes okay so i still use keepass but i had been thinking of transitioning to either one password or lastpass
1: uh, what I like about OnePassword is that it actually includes stuff for um, two-factor authentication. So, for instance, if you have a one-time password set up for specific um, logins, uh-huh. which you should whenever possible, right. it actually stores it. And uh, what's nice about One Password is that when you have it auto fill in your login and password, it copies your one time password to the clipboard. Uh-huh. So then on the subsequent screen, you can just paste in your one time password. Does LastPass not do that? I have no idea <laughs> when it comes to LastPass. <laughs> okay. So
0: I have like a I have like a LastPass account that I created because someone wanted to share a password with me for something unrelated. Uh but I haven't like transitioned my passwords to it.
1: Uh, the main reason I use 1Password is I use it with my work. We have uh, 1Password for Teams. Ah. So we basically have the different uh, silos where different passwords are available to different people. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that
0: yeah, LastPass can do that as well. I think they're basically the same functionality for both of those things. I, that's why I always get them confused. I never can remember which one was which. Oh, and the other cool thing about the password integration with iOS 12 is I saw that you can go and do... You can ask Siri, what's my password for X? And you can set it up so it will then display the password, not not say the password on your phone. So if you use like another device where you need to put the password
1: in, you can get it from your phone. Uh, I haven't had any luck with integration with that and 1Password. However, my understanding is that works pretty seamlessly when you use the keychain. So so you've tried it with uh, 1Password and it didn't work? Yeah, although it may have been just... I only tried it once. I didn't try it repeatedly to see uh, Uh, if it was a bug or an actual implementation issue. Can you do
0: like a synchronizing between... uh, one password and the keychain
1: uh I haven't seen anything like that realistically, I think uh it shouldn't be an issue of syncing, but rather just uh the API to have that. I think that might cover iOS twelve
0: unless you have anything else. can't really think of anything right now. Do we want to talk about the Nintendo switch online stuff?
1: uh yeah, I ended up getting that yesterday, and so far i am I'm pretty disappointed with it. Ultimately, the thing with uh, the Nintendo Switch Online is that uh, it offers, I want to say, 20 or so games on launch, in addition to having online multiplayer. The first part is having, basically, online multiplayer, which everybody has had for free for the past year. Right. So, I'm not going to be excited paying for something now that I was getting for free up until this point. Which is, like, I understand them having to make it a paid service. Okay, fine. Right. But... um. What they're offering in addition to it, in the case of the twenty games on launch, I feel lackluster. Yeah, I mean, there's some there's some good stuff in there. They have Zelda. They have
0: Excite Bike. Yay! <laughs> I can make my own levels in Excite Bike. I was actually playing that for a good half hour last night. And they have R- River City Ransom, which I spent a, a lot of time on when I was younger. <laughs> Double mm-hmm. Dragon. Yep. Though I spent much more time with Double Dragon too
1: no i i was a double dragon one
0: kind of guy uh yeah i i that that sort of spin kick in double dragon two you can go and do it on everything yeah so so we have those and there's supposed there, it looks like there's three i think new games every month after that are they all nintendo games so far no like mighty bomb jack is from temco i never played that one
1: No, no, that's not what I mean. Are they all original NES games? Oh, yes. So far, they're all original NES games. What I'd really like is the return of the Virtual Console. While this is nice, I'd rather actually pay for the games that I would like to play.
0: So there's the online play. There's the uh, classic NES games that you can play. And then the last thing is basically cloud saves. So you're no longer at risk of losing all of your data if your device bombs. They were also saying that you get deals. Yeah, you get deals, too. But I I mean, I assume it's sort of like the games with gold and everything like that, where there's a few titles Mm -hmm. where you get some sort of token discount. That's never as good as the retail discounts. Right. But I still get all of my games downloaded because dealing with cartridges and discs is a huge pain. I want to be able to pick up my device and just play with it. I don't want to have to think about like inserting and removing things or potentially losing things.
1: See, this is when I realized how lazy I am and that uh, there were a whole bunch of games for a while where I just wouldn't play them simply because I would have to get up and put the disc in. Yep.
0: That's why for the 360, I know, I spent probably a lot more time playing the Xbox Live Arcade games than the disc games because they were
1: always on my system. Apparently, there is the ability when you're playing online to display a hand-shaped cursor on your friend's screen. <laughs> and you, which you can use to give hints and point out strategic locations. Okay. You can even clap to congratulate them.: Clapping. Virtual clapping. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. You know what I'm reminded of is uh, new Super Mario Brothers for Wii U. You can play with the controllers, but then whoever has the Wii U screen can press the screen and put a bunch of blocks in place uh, to help the person jump up. Uh-huh. Now, the last time I ended up playing that, the uh, person with the touch screen was rather malicious and would <laughs> end up putting it. Yeah, they would end up blocking my path, however, whatever way they could. Cooperative griefing. <laughs> right. I'd like to see that on original Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) So I noticed they have Mario 1 and Mario 3, but no Mario 2. That one doesn't seem to get get very much respect.
0: I mean, it was not originally a Mario game, so maybe that's part of why. Oh, the other thing is
1: because it was not Mario 2 in Japan. True. I mean, they have it where you can play the game on uh, Wii U. Uh, well, maybe they, just, they, maybe they just don't think that people care enough about it. I don't know. Or they figure that however many months down the line, it'll be their big release. I guess, yeah.
0: You can play, I think, remote multiplayer with any of these old Nintendo games, too, I think. Any of them? Really? Well, the ones that offer multiplayer, I think. Hmm. Uh, I'm not 100% sure since I haven't tried it. We can could, we could follow up on this next time.
1: Yeah, I guess we should uh, give it a shot. I don't know. I'm still kind of underwhelmed with it. Well, hopefully it'll
0: get better. But I mean, the the other thing about it that I think is nice is, well, it's cheap, which you would hope that it's cheap given its current feature set. But uh, the family subscription is $35 for a year, uh, which is less than the individual subscription for Sony or uh, Microsoft. And The interesting thing there is it allows for up to eight accounts to be in the family plan. So if you have friends, you can sort of split it there.
1: Yeah, I found that part interesting, too. I just don't know all the nuances of what's involved with that. But this still doesn't affect anything involving actual game ownership, does it? I don't think so. You mean like being able to play the other person's games?
0: Right. I don't know. Maybe we should test that. Yeah. Do you want to join my family? Because then you'd probably be off of your own subscription. Yeah, I already that, have so. a
1: subscription, so I'm not even sure how that would work. That would be cool, because then it would be then it
0: would be sort of similar to how the Xbox uh, family account used to be before they killed it.
1: Uh, so looking at these uh, games that are going to be on here, do you think they will expire Kind of like how Netflix has movies that end up falling off? I really
0: hope not. But I, I don't think that they will anytime soon. And I think that usually with these kinds of collections, they sort of tend to grow and grow. And they don't usually drop stuff off.
1: I did see that some games were scheduled to fall off of Game Pass.
0: Oh, Okay. So if you download it before they fall off, do you still? I assume that you still can play them until you delete them.
1: I have no idea how that works. Okay, I did.
0: I did also get the Game Pass, and uh, I've downloaded a few games from that. I downloaded Rocket League, which my son is now obsessed with.
1: I have a friend who plays it for like several hours a day. Wow, he must yeah. be pretty good. I would hope with this that games that are twenty-five years old aren't going to fall off.
0: Yeah, and I, I doubt that ones that are published by Nintendo are going to fall off. I guess developed by Nintendo? I forget how publishing worked back when these were actually released. Were all games published by Nintendo back then? Because they were the ones that manufactured the
1: cartridges? Well, except for the ones that went around it. Yeah. Uh, What games would you actually like on this service, which aren't on there right now?
0: I like Bubble Bobble on everything. Marble Madness, I would want Battletoads? Yeah, Battletoads would be good, especially since they're making a new one.
1: I'd like Contra. Oh, yeah, Contra. Contra would definitely be good. The original Uh, Metal Gear, maybe? The old school Ninja Turtles games. Uh, Mega Man 1 through 6? Oh, yeah, definitely the Mega Man series. Bionic Commando?
0: Yeah, though I didn't play very much of that one. I was sort of weird like that. Castlevania yeah you're much better at thinking of games that you want to play than I am
1: oh I was just thinking of games that I used to have Yeah, that generally helps um Blaster Master
0: was it Breakthrough Breakout it wasn't like the Arkanoid thing but it was a I think it was called Breakout and it was like a little car that you drove and shot things
1: and whatnot um, might have been Breakthrough it was Break something are you thinking of the one where you could jump? Yep. Where the car could jump? That's the one. Uh, it was, I remember it being pretty difficult,
0: but I played a ton of it. Bump and jump. No, it was definitely not bump and jump. Uh, break. It was called Breakthrough, but it's spelled break and then
1: T-H-R-U. I have never heard of that game. <laughs>
0: I played a ton of it. Oh, so it's a side-scroller, it looks like. it's a side-scrolling, you're in a car, uh, and you can shoot and jump and all
1: this crazy stuff. Because I know Blaster Master, you're a tank, but then you could get out of the tank and go into specific levels. Yeah, it wasn't like that. Have you played the remake? Uh, No, I keep on intending to. It's supposedly good. Yeah, it's really good.
0: (laughs) Oh, well. All right, I think that about covers the Nintendo Switch, uh, N- Nintendo Switch Online update, unless you have something else to add there. I'm good on that. Uh, all right, so I think that the last thing that we have for today is the release of the NVIDIA 2080 GPU. Uh, did you see much at all on that? Uh,
1: I saw some of the demonstrations of the card, and from what I can see, it looks pretty awesome. The
0: CEO, Jensen Huang, he does these keynotes for NVIDIA where he does the product announcements. and I don't think that I saw the one where he covered the 2080 specifically, but I did see the one where he covered the architecture for this chipset with the uh, real-time ray tracing. So that's the big new thing that NVIDIA has with this new board is uh, hardware dedicated to doing uh real time ray tracing, and that's what the the r t x part of their name is so
1: the way that this works is are you familiar with it oh uh, oh yeah, I am familiar okay. with how ray tracing works uh basically what ray tracing is is following the path that light ends up traveling
0: right that's the way that like big budget movies are normally rendered is rendered as ray tracing the advantage of ray tracing. As opposed to more traditional real-time rendering is that you have uh, more realistic lighting and then you can have and you can have dynamic lighting without baking it into the levels and whatnot
1: one of the things I kept thinking about when this card came out was uh, quake one back in the day in quake one for building levels you would actually have to uh, compile the light maps that would end up going on the textures themselves right and I that took
0: a long long time for levels uh sometimes especially the bigger ones so i i made a level called uh sky high back in the day and it was a level that was basically completely open and so doing the lighting and vis uh calculations uh took like a day (laughs) and it was a super
1: tiny level uh what kind of computer did you have back then some sort of pentium but yeah, I remember those calculations being really, really slow. And uh, now hearing about this, it's like, oh, oh, there's ray tracing. Basically, it's doing that kind of calculation on the fly. Yeah, uh, though there is sort of a trick to it.
0: If you want to have uh, real-time lighting uh, like that. So the the Doom 3, uh, its big thing was that all of its lighting was in real-time Uh but it did it in it it didn't do it in a a, a ray tracing way I think it did it in a different way but the the result was that it had lots of uh hard cutoffs for the lighting uh because it wasn't able to do it in a realistic way and then they went back to sort of baking the baking it in and then next engine the rage engine but I did kind of like how every single light source in the doom three uh actually contributed to things and they could move around and everything
1: honestly i would love to see in doom 3 a version that actually takes advantage of this yeah that was... it's just unfortunate that doom 3 is so old at this point that a, a new doom 3 style doom
0: game and the, don't get me wrong the new dooms are probably a lot better actually the, the gameplay is fast and fun and awesome but they don't have the sort of uh dark atmosphere um was the doom 3 source code ever released yep doom three bfg edition source code it's on github so you'll have to use git (laughs) you you can't use subversion downloading the doom three source code damn it but yeah that's, that's available so someone could go and update it with uh rtx that sounds like a project uh but one i would never have time for getting back to the actual board itself uh you it doesn't do the entire scene with uh the ray tracing so what it has is it has a certain number of rays available and you sort of have to budget them based off of uh which polygons and whatnot you want to test and so you have to send them out sort of strategically in the future i imagine you'll get more and more rays as they update this hardware and it'll be closer and closer to real uh real-time ray tracing um but right now you do your sample rays and then uh At least in the demonstration that uh, NVIDIA had, it uses uh, machine learning to sort of fill in the rest of the lighting detail, uh, given the the sample rays. So it's a combination of uh, ray tracing
1: and machine learning in that case. So how does the flagging work? Is it specifically a a specific polygon that you're saying to be reflective?
0: I would have to look into it more to to get the specifics. Uh, I can put something in the show
1: notes about how it works. Also, do you have any idea what the resolution was that they were showing for each of these demonstrations? I th- I think
0: most of the time they did ten eighty. Uh I think that the ones for the like the NVIDIA keynote might have been four K. Uh, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. They did like this cool stormtrooper thing where they were lighting that in real time and uh Captain Phasma and whatnot with they got all mm-hmm. the nice reflections off of her armor and that look pretty cool
1: so what i'm thinking here is that since there's a limited number of rays that the card provides that uh going back and backporting something like say doom 3 or quake or something like that would probably be pretty difficult then uh i th- i think
0: that it wouldn't be that much more difficult than a lot of a lot of other sort of graphics improvement mods on other games so i don't know
1: Well, I guess why is from the sound of it is it sounds like there's specific objects within a level that you would want ray traced, as opposed to just having the entire level be ray traced. Well,
0: usually you do it as sort of a global thing. Like you, 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 you just have to be strategic about where your sample points are. And it it replaces other lighting algorithms you might have. But
1: then something else to consider is that those old games have so few polygons as well. So that may be a factor to... uh, yeah, take into account, right?
0: though so you sample just
1: dif- different sections of the the polygons. There's, uh, did
0: you see the Atomic Heart ray tracing demo? Uh, no, no, I didn't. While you're looking at that, I, I can sort of describe it. Uh the the Atomic Heart uh is is a game that's coming out that has all sorts of crazy machines as their characters, and a lot of them are reflective, and there's a lot of different lighting, and so the real time ray tracing in this case really gives the world a lot more of a realistic feeling to it and gives the robots in question uh, a lot more character. In addition, it allows more interesting rooms to be set up. Uh, So the example that they have is like a bunch of... There's a bunch of mirrors in a room and uh, the the ray tracing allows the reflections off the mirrors to be uh, more correct. And uh, in one particular case... The it shows like the infinite mirror effect that you have, um, and uh, though some games try to do the infinite mirror effect not with lighting but with uh, portals and whatnot, uh, this allows like the correct fall off of the light uh, as because mirror surfaces are not perfect, and then it also allows stuff like uh, curved mirrors, so you have the correct distortion from the mirrors reflecting off of each other. As the light bounces back and forth, uh, which is very would be very difficult to do with something like uh, portals.
1: Yeah, I had seen part of this game as one of the demos, where they have the robot that has the um, that has a series of lights on it he- on its head, right? And it ends up uh, it ends up kind of taking a spin on its head, and it ends up affecting the lighting for the whole room. Uh-huh. I just I didn't know what uh, I hadn't seen the actual demo for the game. Yeah. I'd figured it was just a tech demo. Oh no! So, if did you go to the the second one down? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looks really, really good. So there's a whole game like that. That's gonna be fun. Yeah, I want to play that now.
0: Just to, just to gawk at it. You you you're gonna go and build a PC now with the with the RTX
1: board. Hmm. I don't suppose there'll be a macOS port, will there? Probably not. Yeah, no Mac port. Yeah. So the the board looks really cool.
0: Um, and then I'm sure that. Some of this will get some use in uh, the scientific uh, scientific computing world. And more recently, the scientific computing world is where I've had most of my NVIDIA interactions. And it sort of dominates uh, all of the GPU processing. Uh, AMD is basically non-existent in uh, in academia, uh, partly because uh, CUDA was sort of first, and so everyone started writing everything for CUDA. And then the other
1: thing is that NVIDIA typically has faster boards. Do you see a lot of scientific application with its ray tracing component besides uh, graphical rendering? In the past, it would have been yes. And my original GP GPU
0: work used a consumer board. So basically, NVIDIA has two sets of uh, graphics cards. They have the ones that are for consumers and then they have the uh gpus that are basically just for doing computation for things like uh scientific computing and originally i used the consumer boards because they were cheaper um and then eventually for uh we did get we got one of those uh dedicated machines to do some uh field line uh tracing magnetic field line tracing uh on the gpu uh because it had a lot more double precision ability than the consumer one did and you use double precision a lot in scientific computing but later uh we even for other more mundane types of uh gp gpu kinds of stuff um you can no longer really even use the consumer ones because it's having a consumer GPU in a rack mount is against their uh, licensing. So they say it's due to like managing thermal loads over time, um, but I'm pretty sure they just want to sell the more expensive boards. Anyone, if if you try and actually buy a rack-mounted consumer GPU. Uh, from Nvidia, you, it's like impossible. Uh, you you pretty much have to get the more expensive ones, like the pa- like the Pascal or, or the Volta uh, or the previous Tesla or Volt, uh Pascal ones. Because if a vendor builds a system that has a consumer GPU in it and it's a rack mount system, Nvidia will basically cut them off and no, no longer sell them boards.
1: So you could do it yourself just uh, you can't have somebody else do it
0: right and if you do put it in a rack mount system you'll basically void your warranty uh, with a consumer board hmm. so I mean it's it's technically possible um, but they Nvidia really doesn't like it there is one exception though do you know what the exception is
1: no no so
0: you are allowed to use consumer boards in a rack mount system for Bitcoin mining <laughs> Well, but uh, that, is, that is their exception. Well, yeah, it, but Bitcoin uh, or any sort of other uh, it, cryptocurrency mining is their listed exception for the consumer boards.
1: Yeah, but when it comes to Bitcoin, isn't uh, isn't Bitcoin mining switching to the custom? Yeah, ASIC they, they're, chips? they're mostly Asics now,
0: mm-hmm. and they're mostly in places. Where you can get cheap electricity, such as next to a giant dam in China. Um, And so that's basically where all of the Bitcoin mining happens now, is in these places where you can get really cheap power in China. There's ones that are sort of uh, designed to be, uh, I think, ASIC resistant. Like uh, I think Ethereum has some, it is supposed to be sort of ASIC resistant and more. So GPUs work better there. I think the idea was to allow uh, regular people to mine more easily. Uh, I I think it was Ethereum. I know that there's definitely other cryptocurrencies that are that way.
1: But isn't the compromise for something like that more power consumption? Probably. Cryptocurrency mining all around the world uses a ridiculous amount of power. It's pretty sad. I mean, that's one of the things I find that it turns me off from using it is just the amount of power consumption.
0: Though I do wish that I had done a little still a little bit of Bitcoin mining when I first heard about Bitcoin I'd be rich
1: rich right
0: uh, and I and I thought about doing it too and but more recently like Bitcoin is it's definitely fallen from its high right now it's at six thousand four hundred thirty one per Bitcoin which is still way higher than it was when I first heard about it But uh, definitely off from, what, the 18,000 or so per Bitcoin at its high. Do you think it's stabilized
1: yet? Or do you think it's going to fall again? Mm, I think it's probably stable for a while. I guess the question is if you see there being another run on Bitcoin at any point.
0: I think also people are starting to realize that it's not like completely untraceable. Like, because they're, it's, I mean, by definition, everything is out in the open. So if someone is able to find out what wallet you have is yours, you could, they can know like every single transaction you've ever made with it.
1: If there were a form of uh, cryptocurrency that didn't end up taking a whole amount of power, I would be more for it. But just the fact that, the fact that it's using more power than some countries as a whole. Makes me think, okay, it's a waste.
0: Even if fusion becomes viable, we need to dispose of our waste heat somehow.
1: A giant pipe up to space.
0: (laughs) A smokestack.
1: There we go. We're not polluting the air. Our smokestack goes all the way into space. (laughs) I don't know. I like the idea of calling it space pipe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's actually all I had to say about Bitcoin and everything. Uh, Do you have anything else to say about the new NVIDIA board?
1: Uh, Just that I want Mac support. Well,
0: I think it'll probably have Mac support via eGPUs and we can talk about eGPUs on another podcast. And I want OpenGL support. Oh, uh, yeah. There's the, for those that don't know, OpenGL has been deprecated on Mac OS, uh, in favor of basically metal, which is the more modern, uh, GPU API. And something like metal is definitely the way to go, but it would be nice if, The Mac natively supported Vulkan, so you could do cross-platform stuff more easily. I mean, OpenGL, realistically, uh, because of the way that it's architected, was going to die eventually. I'm hoping that uh, it's deprecated but never removed, but knowing
1: Apple eventually it will probably be removed. But it'll probably be a good 5-10 years from now. So I take it if it's removed, it means a whole bunch of old school games that I like playing are no longer going to be
0: playable. So what my guess is, is that someone... Right now, there is a Metal to Vulcan translation layer that someone made. My guess is that someone is going to make a Metal to OpenGL translation layer that's open source that people can use to play their old OpenGL games.
1: Eh, I can live with that.
0: So I think that shouldn't be too much of an issue Well, people should probably get working on that, if it doesn't already exist anyway.
1: It's just annoying when it comes to new games, because it's just going to make it harder for actual PC or console games to be ported to macOS. So instead, what macOS is going to get are a whole bunch of games from the iPhone.
0: The other thing is that most people that are making games these days, they don't go and interact with the graphics libraries directly. They interact with Unity or Unreal Engine. And both of those have support for metal uh, on the Mac and iOS. And so it isn't really a huge deal for the vast majority of games. It's people that want to make custom engines, like, say, in software,
1: that never bother going and using metal. But then you have whole game companies that aren't necessarily supporting it. So take, for instance, Bethesda, which owns in software. Yeah, they don't really do yep. it either. And then also uh, Rockstar. That uh, a lot of Rockstar's newer engines don't really see any kind of uh, release on macOS. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, well, I guess I'll dual boot, <laughs> and then use a
0: eGPU to play your Windows games. Yep. Or get the new Mac Pro if it ever exists.
1: Yeah, I'll get a new Mac Pro and an eGPU, and cry as I reboot into Windows. <laughs> Oh
0: man! Every time I use Windows, I I just feel like it's fighting me the whole time, trying its best to resist what I want to do. I felt that way since Windows 8. Well, I was gone before Windows 8, so
1: that was my uh, that was the point where I actually jumped ship. Yeah, the point where when I pressed the uh, the window key, it would end up taking over my whole screen. <laughs> I can see how that would do it because they moved to a mobile first strategy. Yeah, at that point I'm
0: like, okay, I'm done. Though I think that, I mean, 10 is a bit better in that
1: regard. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I mean, my limited interaction with 10 is generally pretty good. It's just I'm so invested at this point. I don't want to switch back and not get iMessage. And then they have the the
0: Ubuntu subsystem, which is nice. Uh, Though I haven't played with that very much. I did notice that docker only works with the most recent version of uh windows windows 10 Hmm. which is a little bit annoying and not only that you can't use the home version you have to use the uh one of the professional ones Uh, which matters for me because i have a piece of software uh that i made the docker image for that only works on windows if you're using docker
1: what is docker again
0: Docker is sort of like a very lightweight virtual environment. So it's not a virtual, it's not a virtualization system like Parallels or VMware. Uh, it's instead virtualizing the operating system environment, not the kernel. And so it from, so you create a container and in the container, uh, you would have something like an Ubuntu system that would then use your your own system operating system's kernel for the kernel operations, but the user level, the user land stuff would all be like an Ubuntu uh, distribution. And then you can sort of layer, uh, you, you have layers of stuff. So at your base layer would be the operating system Then you could put another layer on it that is basically your prerequisites for your application. You could put another layer on it that uh, does something else. And each of these layers can be downloaded from Docker Hub Uh, and so when you post them someone else could use uh, your uh, system as sort of a base layer for their own individual applications uh, which is pretty handy because then if someone has multiple ones of these uh, with their virtualized environments uh, they don't have to download the whole operating system for each uh, uh, each uh, application but they still get the advantage of, say, you some of your user land conflicts with each other, and you don't want other application, you don't want to uh, mess up people's systems or whatever. Uh, you can have uh, ten different Docker apps uh, that each have their own prerequisites and installs, maybe different versions of Ubuntu or whatever. Uh, they can all run basically on the same machine, uh, having the same base uh, layer at the at the bottom, while having different layer uh, modification layers at the
1: top. So you said it doesn't use the kernel, but does it have does it have access to your host operating system's file system? Uh, yes, you do. Uh,
0: which causes annoyances on Linux because it's effect- that makes it effectively having uh, like if you have a user that can use Docker on Linux, they effectively have root because it has access to the whole file system? Uh, hmm. So you, in order to have a Linux user uh, use. Uh, Docker, they either have to be root or they have to be in a special Docker group. Um, but it's it's definitely a security concern if you don't trust the user. That's usually why people don't normally use it for regular applications. They normally use it for things like web services and other sorts of web apps. There is a way on Linux to not have access, uh, but you have to have your kernel compiled in a particular way uh, that allows for the the uh, sandboxing. Hmm. Uh, on Mac OS, uh, I think that you need an administrator to install, but you don't need an administrator to run necessarily like you do on Linux. Same with, uh, Windows. You just set it to run as a specific user, I take it? When you're doing the setup, the user would get their access at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And you can, uh, under, under Windows, when it, uh, requests access to the file system there's a prompt that comes up so the user that uh, the user needs to control that part of the operating system on Windows in order for that to show up in their docker image uh, on Mac I think if it if the user doesn't own it they just won't have access to modification of those files any more than they would uh, with their normal user privileges
1: okay that makes sense
0: uh, but on Linux there's not really a good way to doing it unless you recompile your kernel
1: so I mean since it's not running a Linux kernel it's kind of running the app in single user mode kind of no you can actually switch between users in there
0: too uh that's one of the parameters that you can pass in when you're going in. by default you're root but you don't have to be root
1: nice okay
0: did you want to go ahead and wrap thank you for listening to aliens land here uh you can find me on twitter at zermacopa uh and you can find Mark where?
1: Uh, 7 cycle underscore public.
0: Okay. Or just go to alh.fm and uh, you can find all of the aliens land here goodness. And uh, thank you to our 20 trillion Patreon subscribers for continuing to support us over in Alpha Centauri and uh, the Crab Nebula.
1: Well, thank you to our three non alien Patreon subscribers. <laughs> when I went to Pax, and I guess we'll cover Pax
0: on a different uh, show, there was a game that I was that I was introduced to called Treadnoughts. and uh, you can get it on it's multi platform, but I got it on the Switch, and it's really fun. It's a game where you go and drive a little tank around, and do you remember like Scorched Earth? Where oh, yeah. you do the arc shots and everything, it's sort of like a little real-time scorched earth kind of thing. Where, you d- except that you can drive your tank around, and you can uh, you can hold down the trigger, and the longer you hold down the trigger, the ch- the the arc changes for when you let go. And uh, you can do actually rocket jumps by jumping up in the air, turning yourself upside down, and then firing. And then you can uh, you sort of attach to any sort of surface that you land on, so you can drive basically upside down and right side up. There's all these cute, clever levels, It's and then um, it's designed as a multiplayer game, so it's best if you have four human players playing against each other. It's really good. Yeah, the gameplay footage looks really fun. I wish they had a, uh online component for it, because that would be super fun to play against you.